This podcast is supported by Zoll LifeVest. Sudden cardiac death is a leading cause of mortality in low EF patients with heart failure or following a heart attack. Zoll is proud to partner with your care team to pursue better outcomes together. Visit LifeVestResults.com to learn more. Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. My dear cardio nerds, this is Amit Goyal. Join us on a new adventure as we journey through the maze of clinical practice guidelines. In this series, Decipher the Guidelines, we will take a deep dive into the 2021 ESC Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines, focusing on similarities and differences from the American guidelines. This is a multidisciplinary collaboration between the Cardiators, the ACC Prevention of Cardiovascular Disease Section, the National Lipid Association, and the Preventive Cardiovascular Nurse Association, developed with the mentorship from Dr. Eugene Yang. And remember, CardioNerds is a fellow-founded, independent educational platform. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Do be a nerd and spread the word on social media and help others find us by rating and reviewing the show on your favorite podcast platform. And with that, it's time to get nerdy. The following question refers to Section 3.4 of the 2021 EST Cardiovascular Prevention Guidelines. The question is asked by student Dr. Adriana Mares, answered first by Brigham and Women's Medicine intern and director of the CardioNerds internship, Dr. Gurleen Kaur, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Michael Wesley Milks. Dr. Milks is a staff cardiologist and assistant professor of clinical medicine at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, where he serves as the director of cardiac rehabilitation and an associate program director of the cardiovascular fellowship. He specializes in preventative cardiology and is a member of the American College of Cardiology's Cardiovascular Disease Prevention Leadership Council. Dr. Milks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. It's really my honor to be here, uh, particularly as a Cardio Nerds fan myself. Again, so glad to have you join us, Dr. Milks. Our question is as follows. Ms. Ruma Toyd is a 65-year-old African-American woman who presents to your clinic in Ohio for routine follow-up. She has a history of rheumatoid arthritis, hypertension, obesity, and sleep apnea. Her medications include methotrexate and atenolol. Her blood pressure in the office is 120 over 80 millimeters of mercury, heart rate of 68 beats per minute, and oxygen saturation of 99% on group air. Her recent lipid testing revealed total cholesterol of 165 milligrams per deciliter, HDL of 42 milligrams per deciliter and LDL of 118 milligrams per deciliter. She was recently advised to talk to her doctor about taking a statin due to her risk factors and has heard negative things about those medications and would like your advice on next steps. Her calculated ASCVD risk score based on the pooled cohort equation is 7%. Which of the following choices would be the next step? A. She is at borderline risk for ASCVD events. A statin is not indicated at this time. B. Due to her history of rheumatoid arthritis, her calculated ASCVD risk should be multiplied by 1.5, yielding a ASCVD risk of 10.5%, placing her in the intermediate risk category. Moderate intensity statin would be indicated. C. When other risk factors are present, 
rheumatoid arthritis is no longer an, an enhancing risk factor. D. Statins are contraindicated when taking methotrexate. Dr. Carr, how would you go about helping this patient? Thank you so much, Adriana, for that question. I think this is particularly relevant because I was actually in the rheumatology outpatient clinic today, so I was definitely thinking about how rheumatologic diseases relate to cardiovascular disease risk. So I think in this case, the correct answer choice is B. In this patient, her history of rheumatoid arthritis allows her calculated ASCVD risk to be multiplied by 1.5, placing her in the intermediate risk category. In this case, a moderate intensity statin would be indicated. And this is based on the European Society of Cardiology guidelines, which give a class 2A or level of evidence B indication to multiply the calculated total ASCVD risk by a factor of 1.5 in adults with rheumatoid arthritis. And this is because there's been an observed 50% increased risk of cardiovascular disease in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. And this 50% increase in cardiovascular disease risk that's attributed to rheumatoid arthritis is actually present beyond traditional risk factors, which makes answer choice C wrong in this case. Answer choice A is also incorrect because when borderline risk is calculated, it's still really important to look at risk enhancers that could potentially increase ASCVD risk before a final determination is made for the need or indication for a statin. And then in terms of answer choice D, when we're thinking about statins and if there's any interactions with methotrexate, there's no contraindication to be taking both of these medications together, including the methotrexate and a statin. And I think in this question, it's also important to keep in mind that when we're calculating her ASCVD risk score, in this example, we mentioned the pooled cohort equations. And those are actually validated in a population based in the United States and would be relevant in this patient since she's in America. But when we're thinking about other populations, the score two risk model is more appropriate for European populations based on how it was validated. So the key takeaway from this question is that inflammatory conditions, including rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory bowel disease, increase a person's risk for ASCVD events. And specifically for rheumatoid arthritis, there's a class 2A indication to multiply the calculated risk by 1.5 to account for rheumatoid arthritis as a risk enhancer. So Dr. Miltz, I was wondering if you could touch a little bit about how the guidelines vary in terms of the American and the European guidelines and how to factor in these risk-enhancing factors, including rheumatoid arthritis and other inflammatory conditions. Yes, thank you, Gerlene. I think that's a really great question, and you led the discussion well. Uh, this is an important topic, and I think the first thing we need to review is to just get the distinction between key or primary risk factors versus risk-enhancing factors. So again, to review, as we know, the key risk factors include age, gender, and the modifiable group that includes atherogenic cholesterol, hypertension, cigarette smoking, diabetes, and in some constructs, obesity is included as well. This group of risk factors is accounted for both in the ACC-AHA pooled cohort equations, as you mentioned, in the European version, the SCORE2 risk calculators. Now, we'll know what's absent here. Family history is not included generally, but some risk calculators do involve family history. And one of them that I would direct you to for interested listeners would be the MESA risk calculation tool. This includes family history as well as it can further revise the initial risk calculation from the demographic factors based on the calcium score. So it could give you the kind of initial uh, calcium agnostic score, if you will, versus 
knowing the calcium score, whether it's revised upward or downward as it compares to the normative population. So this comes in really handy when we're ordering or interpreting calcium scores, such as in our CT lab. And so let's also recall the differences between the American and European systems for the risk strata. We know that in primary ASCBD prevention, the ACC-AHA guidelines consider individuals with 10-year risk by the pooled cohort equations of greater than 7.5% as being in the intermediate risk stratum, which can prompt that clinician-patient discussion to start treatment, whereas a primary high-risk level would be 20% or greater in which case the statin indication is even stronger. Now, the term very high risk in the ACC-AHA paradigm is reserved for secondary prevention patients. So they either have a history of recurrent ASCBD clinical events or a single event plus some additional uh, risk factors. And this terminology is different from the ESC guidelines as some adults can be considered very high risk, even in primary prevention, which really... In this guideline just suggests that very intensive risk factor modification is recommended. And in the ESC construct for very high risk, they break it up into sort of an age-adjusted uh, range such that the patients are very high risk if they have a 7.5% risk under 50 years, 10% risk between 50 and 69 years, or 15% risk in those 70 years or older. So again, that was a discussion of our key risk factors and risk calculation tools. So moving on to your question about risk enhancers, these are issues that are not included in those primary risk calculation tools, but are nevertheless quite important in revising the risk estimate upwards as could push us towards a statin treatment threshold. And so the ACCAHA prevention guideline essentially tabulates a group of risk enhancing factors Uh, as used for the subjective consideration at the point of that clinician-patient risk discussion that I mentioned. So notable examples might be elevated lipoprotein little a, metabolic syndrome uh, or prediabetes, hypertriglyceridemia, or inflammatory diseases, or the biomarkers that associate with them, such as elevated high-sensitivity CRP greater than 2 milligrams per liter. Now, in some ways, the ESC guidelines are much more specific and granular in the treatment of risk-enhancing factors. So for one example, the ESC guidelines specify a particular EGFR or albumin-creatinine ratio cutoff to qualify CKD as placing a patient in either a high risk or in the case of severe CKD with uh, EGFR less than 30 or between 30 and 44 plus an elevated albumin-creatinine ratio uh, into a very high-risk stratum. And those cutoffs are even less stringent for renal disease in the presence of diabetes. So it's, it's really quite specific in, in the way they deal with these risk enhancers. Great. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilkes, for walking us through the differences between risk factors and risk enhancing factors and how the American and European guidelines have different thresholds of risk stratification based on the risk factors, as well as more specific cutoffs regarding the risk enhancing factors. I was wondering in, in the sense that you were saying that the European guidelines have the specific or more specific and nuanced in the risk-enhancing factors. And we were just talking about how there's that recommendation of multiplying the risk score by 1.5. How much do you think that this is done in clinical practice? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think it's really interesting that there is a specific multiplication factor quoted for this risk enhancer. I don't usually consider uh, multiplying the risk by a specific factor uh, in my usual practice. So again, I'm, I'm quite interested that it, it's done here. I think 
most of us in practice probably just consider more of a subjective assessment of how significant the risk-enhancing factor is when trying to modify that 10-year primary risk. Um, but you know, the fact that not all risk-enhancing conditions probably have equal effects, I think some additional guidance from numeric terms might be helpful as uh, this body of literature continues to grow. Great, thank you. I was also surprised about the specific number that the guidelines state. And I think the other thing when we think about inflammatory disorders like rheumatoid arthritis is that they often have flare-ups and waxing and waning nature. So what role does the amount of flare-ups as well as the cumulative burden of inflammatory disease severity play when we're thinking about ASCBD risk? That's a really great point. And like you mentioned, for a given condition, the uh, magnitude times the duration, if you will, of that risk enhancer probably is going to give us the best final gestalt of how much we need to revise that risk estimate. So I consider it akin to number of pack years of smoking. Others have suggested we might even want to consider LDL years, like in those with familial hypercholesterolemia who may have had high LDL since quite early in life. So why not inflammatory severity years? (laughs) I really like that, thinking about it in years and how the overall impact is on the disease and the risk for ASCVD. Thank you so much, Dr. Milks, for that discussion and for giving us all that insight into this question and how to think about taking care of patients with inflammatory disease and how it enhances their risk for ASCVD. Great discussion. Thank you. Great. That was fantastic. Thank you all. (laughs) 